0: Welcome to Short Stack Stories. I'm Jackie. And I'm Liv. And we are back this week with a grim tale that will certainly make you rethink how terrible your 9 to 5 is. Toll by Donnie Watson is a story about the dehumanizing encounters felt by a lonely toll booth worker. This
1: tale follows a man who, after working the night shift at the I 95 toll booth, finds comfort in an
0: apartment complex pool. ...and escapes to his memories. After a few encounters with the local apartment dwellers, some may even go as far to say this is a ghost story. And this week, we have a guest
1: reader on, so Absolutely! Welcome, Harry Thornton. So, click in your seatbelt... Don't forget some change... And let's dive into this week's... Short Sack, sack Story... story.
2: Donnie Watson. Read by Harry Thornton. Charlie worked nights in an I-95 toll booth. He spent eight-hour slumps confined to his small hut, listening to the radio and thumbing the lid of a canteen filled with Miller Lite. Next to him was a row of other toll booths, manned by nameless workers who he'd make eye contact with on occasion. Their expressionless faces never acknowledged Charlie's nods and soon he mirrored their deadpan gazes. A river of headlights queued in front of him. The cars were filled with eager people Anxious to get past the moment where they'd meet Charlie. Sometimes, between drivers, he got up and stretched his arms, extending to the point where it hurt. And then he'd close his eyes and stretch further. This is how Charlie tricked himself into thinking he was somewhere larger, more open. Exhaust fumes lingered and coated his clothing and thin hair. His throat burned, reminiscent of his first pull of a cigarette when he was a preteen. The sensation of beer swilling down his throat from the canteen soothed the burning momentarily. His shift was almost over, and the canteen had long been empty. Most cars sped off before he had the opportunity to say much, but He still made sure not to lock eyes with children, because they'd dip beneath a backseat window or cling to their mother's arm for comfort. Charlie often drove home with nothing but his pillow in mind. His shed of a house always smelled like the trash needed to be taken out. He'd scrubbed the counters and walls with dishwashing liquid and hot water. He'd lit candles and used scented sprays, but there was always an underlying stink beneath the manufactured fragrances. He was cramped in his stuffy home, just as he was in the toll booth. Charlie felt like a convict being transported back and forth between two prison cells. It was summer, and the cells had become ovens. Charlie spotted an apartment complex with an unoccupied pool at the center of the courtyard and imagined water washing the day's heat off of him. He pulled into the complex's entryway and his truck sputtered to a stop in front of the pool. He draped his neon jacket and jeans over a lawn chair. Charlie descended the stairs and winced at the quick coolness against his groin. He hadn't felt that since he'd belly-flopped into the neighborhood pool when he was a kid. His friends would laugh in fits every time they heard his body smack against the water's surface. Now, Charlie's soaked t-shirt clasped to the middle-aged stomach he'd become embarrassed of, and his boxers concealed the parts of him that became less and less. Even without anyone there, he felt shame in what his body had become. Charlie kicked off the wall, rolling onto his back in a slow glide. He stretched his arms out like he'd do in the booth, water flowing between his fingers like a stream running between rocks. He recalled gliding on his back in his youth, his red stomach exposed in the open air. He clapped the water with a flat hand and heard a belly flop resonating from 30 years ago. His childhood gang surrounded the pool, phantom-like figures with wide grins. They were laughing, but he only heard his own throaty chuckles. He dove, scurrying to the bottom of the pool, convinced they'd be gone when he came back up. Charlie gasped for air, spinning around to make sure he was still alone, now noting the lit apartments, almost missing the one directly across from the pool, with the torn blinds and silhouette peeking through them. The apartment door swung open, and a patter of footsteps came running through thick summer grass. The boy was eight or nine years old, with a missing front tooth and dark hair that mopped over his eyes. I saw you through my window, the boy said, gasping to catch his breath. Are you a ghost? Not that I know of. Oh, okay. My mom said they're not real. He fiddled with the drawstring of his Hawaiian swim trunks. I'm sorry if I woke you up, Charlie said. I was already up. Uh, I wanted you to be a ghost so I could show you to my mom. Should I go get her anyways? No. That's alright. I'm gonna leave soon. The boy kicked a rock into the pool and yelped. He hopped up and down on one foot. Kick the dang thing harder than I wanted to. Can you get that rock for me? Charlie dove feeling what life was like before the years had changed him, before the toll booth, before he'd lost everyone. It got darker as he went deeper. He felt it get darker, like a dimmer switch soothing him, promising him that he'd never have to go back to work if he'd just stay under. There was an eruption on the other end of the pool, The boy's legs were flailing as he fought to stay afloat. Did you find it? No. Dang. Charlie scooped up his clothes, leaving the boy to find the rock by himself. Stick to the shallow end. Pools are dangerous. The next night was hotter. The cars formed a deep line in front of his booth. Those cars were filled with people anxious to get where they were going. Those people had hands that furiously drummed their steering wheels as Charlie made change, and heads that repeatedly nodded, urging him to work faster. Someone on Charlie's radio said it was American dream hour, and there would be nothing but uninterrupted American classics. An old man with a sunken face pulled up to the booth An ancient chihuahua with eyebrows as bushy and pale as the drivers rested its front paws against the backseat window and yapped at Charlie. The man pulled a sagging Ziploc bag of pennies out from the glove compartment. He looked up at Charlie with a sick grin and said, This is my toll fund. The old man placed each counted penny on his lap, and sometimes they'd spill between his legs. And he'd cuss and start over. He'd roll his tongue over his chapped lips and rasp a slow one, two, three, four. Horns blared. Drivers got out of their cars and stared at the booth to see Charlie sitting there, not moving as he waited. They screamed things at Charlie. They screamed about how he was holding up their lives. Headlights flashed from high beams to low to high again. Someone threw a to-go drink against the booth, and dark liquid splattered against the window. More pennies slid from the old man's lap. He placed them back into the bag and started over. Do you have any larger bills, sir? It's only three dollars. Don't call me poor. I didn't. I just... Have to move the line. Fine. Here, prick. The old man slung the bag of pennies at Charlie. It smacked just below his eye. He sat there, unmoving and stunned. Come on, time is money, the old man yelled. A woman with deep, caring eyes pulled up next. Her friendly smile flattened as she saw the blood trailing from beneath Charlie's right eye. He brushed his palm against the gash and studied his wet hand before holding it out to her, trembling and waiting for her payment. The radio went on and on. Driver after driver pulled up to the window, expressing faux concern. They each offered some kind of gesture, some kind of veneer of caring, but the words were empty. They were the same drivers they'd always been, eager to move past the moment they were meeting him. A little blood didn't change the job. The people had to pay. Two distant sets of headlights barreled down the highway, toward the row of booths. Most drivers on I-95 had heavy feet, Charlie knew, but their cars were never side-by-side, locked in a drag race. Cars slammed on their brakes, their tires burning across the concrete in a hellish screech. One came to a halt feet in front of someone's bumper, but the other had been going too fast. It fishtailed and plowed into a concrete barrier protecting Charlie's booth. The driver erupted through the windshield, and his body flailed against the highway. Blood etched from the driver's forehead and snaked down his face. He gazed up at Charlie with a childlike fear. Charlie wanted to look away, but he peered back at the driver and tried to find words other than, three dollars, please. Other toll booth workers were yelling, crowding around, loud, intrusive, and Charlie couldn't think of what to say. Somewhere amidst all the commotion, he heard his radio. American Dream Hour was over. Charlie slung his neon vest over the gate and walked toward the parking lot next to the booths. Someone yelled, Where do you think you're going? He needed the pool. He needed to stretch and close his eyes and free himself from bags of pennies, blood stains, blaring horns, and the grinding screech of metal crashing into concrete. Charlie pulled back into the apartment complex. The pool was empty again, and he dipped into the shallow end, clad in his T-shirt and boxers. He scrubbed dried blood from his cheek, and then scrubbed harder as the driver's mangled face flashed in his head. A screen door across from the pool swung open, and Charlie expected to see the little boy with the Hawaiian swimming trunks. A woman in her late thirties, with unkempt hair and baggy eyes, came to the pool. An oversized Atlanta Braves tee drooped over her yoga shorts. You must be the ghost my son was telling me about. I was out here last night. I'm sorry if he was trouble. He's had the hardest time sleeping since his dad passed. No, no trouble. I left shortly after he came outside. Charlie ran his hands through his hair. Sorry about your husband. The mom sat at the edge of the pool, dangled her feet in the water. You looked like him for a second when you brushed your hair back just now. I can see why my kid came out to talk to you. She took a biting drag of her cigarette, put it out on the cement. This is weird, but can I ask you to brush your hair back one more time? Charlie hesitated, but ran his fingers through his hair once more. She swam to him, gently touched the gash below his eye. The bristle of her fingertips relaxed him. She placed her forehead against Charlie's and whispered her husband's name. I'm so sorry, the mother said. It's okay. I really don't mind. She took his hands and led him down the slope of the shallow end into the deep end. The boy might have been watching through his bedroom window, seeing the ghost hand in hand with his mother. Maybe Charlie's childhood friends were standing around the pool again, waiting on the next belly flop. Any thought about who else might be watching melted as she slid his boxers off they undressed completely, sinking together in the deep end and holding their breaths past the point where their throats tightened. In the bubbling ambiance of being underwater, Charlie thought he heard his little radio playing all the way from the toll booth. It's American Dream Hour again. If they ever swam up and broke through the light shimmering on the water's surface, he'd say, Let me tell you about the American dream. It's belly flopping to hear your friends laugh. It's losing those friends to U-Hauls and 8-hour grinds. It's a bathroom mirror that slowly wrinkles your skin. It's isolation. It's a $3 toll. It's hoping Someone pulls you into the deep end. It's a single moment that makes you feel it's all worth it. It's a ghost story. It's the rock you couldn't find.
0: So a little behind the scenes secret, not really. Uh, this is one of two stories that Donnie actually ended up submitting to us. And, um, so we were able to get familiar with more of Donnie's stories and his writing style. And, yeah. and as he obviously said in his author bio, he, he really gravitates towards like, Real, real life, as, yeah. for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. and the not the finding the the beautiful in the not so beautiful in the gritty in these 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 day to day encounters that that people go through. But there's in both stories that we've read, there is also an eerie, haunting edge it's got such an edge and a bite to it that i really enjoy reading
1: kind of a greasiness almost yeah
0: yeah (laughs) but not in
1: a bad way yeah Um, and it's funny like you never really think about the toll booth worker i think whenever i drive by one i wonder what they do like do they get to listen to a podcast or an (laughs) audiobook or do they get to watch netflix while they collect you know they are a government employee who literally sits in the middle of a highway every day. Like,
0: yeah, and how many I, people
1: they encounter?
0: Yeah, I so many. I wonder if they
1: see some crazy.
0: I'm things. sure they probably have insane stories. And I try to be extra kind and say, like, "Hey, how are you?" Even I think just a simple "how How's your day?" is yeah. probably so much more than they get from people who anything that i know but anything that involves driving and traffic and highways brings the worst out of people (laughs) myself included like the the traffic brings out the absolute worst side of me and i'm sure that people who work these jobs get the the brunt of it for sure right
1: especially if you're you know still collecting physical money like easy pass these days Mm -hmm. has changed toll work (laughs) a hundredfold i'm sure i'm sure
0: but i think the the real message in this story is this the character that we follow clearly is reminiscing on a much more innocent carefree time in their life before it's it's crazy when you're a kid and you're playing in the pool and you're with your friends and you're just seeing who can do the biggest belly flop in the pool you don't ever imagine yourself where you imagine for yourself is always big something big and grand and and it's it's depressing really how the world can change can that. change innocence mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely you know we all have a place in this world and it's all very important. Yeah. I agree. We're all a cog in the machine. We are all a cog in the machine. Donnie does a really good job of showcasing characters who aren't that glamorous, who you wouldn't put a spotlight might on. Be swallowed up. Exactly. A little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the other story that we've got by him called Totem is kind of spooky scary so maybe you'll catch us featuring it on a bonus episode Mm -hmm. short stack after dark for sure
0: (laughs) it is but everything that is spooky scary is very grounded in yeah there's a reason for it it's not just for the sake of it, right which makes it in my opinion even spookier because especially like i'm not a scary movie person but when it's over dramatized or monsters or things that aren't real i'm like Uh, Okay, I can look past this, but the way that Donnie writes is, it's It's like you're reading a journal, like his journal, you know? So Mm. it's definitely, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's raw. It's raw. It's gritty. It's edgy. It's authentic. Um, yeah. Should we, let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, Donnie so we can get more of an inside look into his brain. Just to provide a little more context, typically we take our author responses and then we'll adapt them into a bio. But I will be reading these responses word for word. "Quote: My first attempt at storytelling was a Final Fantasy VIII fan fiction I wrote in fifth grade. I wasn't interested in reading or writing before that. My first impulse to write was as fast and unexpected as a sucker punch." I fell in love with the characters and subsequently fell in love with the process of writing about them. I'd say my writing style isn't overly flashy. I maintain a direct and clear tone that enables imagery to strike harder and louder. My prose is energetic and relentlessly nostalgic. Having grown up on movies like Stand By Me, I'm drawn to coming-of-age stories. I'm most attracted to first experiences. Whether it's someone's first time feeling acceptance or encountering death, I want to explore it. In this way, almost everything I write is a coming-of-age story, despite my characters' ages. My tones and worlds are a little darker, and I try to find truth in grit. If it's ever said that my stories are in the shadows of Christopher Buellman or Gillian Flynn, I'll have found home. I live on my father's deathbed. I think of him dying and looking back on his life, wishing he'd done things differently rather than feeling thankful for what he'd done. I've devoted my remaining days to making my deathbed as comfortable as possible, with my pillows fluffed by a fulfilled life. In my anxious moments, I've found comfort in recognizing, imagining that I'm the only person that exists and life spills from me. I've recently made room in this space for a partner I've fallen in love with, and now my life spills from the two of us. And in that stream, I've crafted and will craft hurtful, haunting stories that ensnare readers and make something in their hearts bloom. In regards to toll, it's fiction, but I'd be lying if I said I haven't been to that apartment complex pool. I see the pool as whatever initially takes you away from what dehumanizes you. For some, the dehumanizer is a job. For others, it's a relationship. The catalyst changes from person to person, but the destination doesn't. Somewhere we lose ourselves and become just an employee, just a boyfriend, or just a daughter. Identity is tricky, and on the road to self-discovery, it's necessary to visit our ghosts, the memories we cling to for better or worse. Toll's apartment pool is a real place in Augusta, Georgia. Somewhere my friends and I would break into when we were young, and we'd spend warm nights being wild in the guiltless ways that feel right in your teens and 20s. I look forward to an elderly age where those memories are my ghosts, and the deep end is a fine bed. In my free time, I enjoy sneaking into an acne bathroom with my girlfriend for a drunken makeout, and then brown bagging a couple of tall boys for a stumbly walk through South Philly. I hope this is one of the memories that walk with me later in life. Quote. And just for more context, I was introduced, well, v- virtually to Donnie uh, through my boyfriend who works at the tattoo shop. So I'm also in South Philly, so I get those, the Acme res- reference and the stumbly walk through South Philly. Um, but as for the most important question, the favorite breakfast food, a toasted bagel with a runny egg, crispy bacon, tater tots, melted pepper jack cheese, Frank's Red Hot Sauce, and a good old classic never let you down catch up thank you for tuning in to this week's episode if you would like to know more about donnie you can check him out on instagram at metal don and tiktok metal
1: don and thank you so much to our very first guest reader this season harry thornton Harry Thornton is an actor, musician, and writer, so of course he spends most of his days trapped inside of a Mexican restaurant, which is actually where we met, called Chavela's, go visit him, I sometimes moonlight there, and of course this Mexican restaurant from which he would love to escape. Some recent work includes Peacock's Poker Face, he has always loved reading and stories of all kinds, so he was excited to be on the show, thank you again, and he lives in Brooklyn, you can find him on Instagram
0: at Harry B. Thornton. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we would love to hear from you. So you can find us on Instagram at Short Stack Stories Pod or check us out on our website, shortstackstories.com. And next week, you'll hear from me on the mic taking a break in the woods, maybe with some murder? Yeah, you are blonde, so you might be killed first. in...
1: I'm not blonde. Oh, right, you're not blonde anymore. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> I've been a redhead for so long, but the essence of me is still so okay, blonde that people just Okay, but the hot redhead still, still gets murdered alone.
1: first in the spoof <laughs> scary scary cabin murder mystery. Either anyway. way, I'm being murdered first. I get it. Yes. So we'll catch you then. And as always, have a story stacked week. Wee. Wee. Wee
0: being cars on the i got that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just was trying to think of a clever (laughs) response (laughs) you know you really should slow down before going through a toll though here's my dollar 35